Welcome to another episode of The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm Ron Swallow. I'm Ed Greer. And I am producer Bill. And today we are going to be discussing greatest arch enemies. And I just want to clear it up right off the biz at. I think I want to talk about pairs, but obviously for the advertiser, we're just going to focus on the villains. But if you're not fighting somebody good, you can't be a great villain. I don't want to hear no no villains that suck ass, that fight somebody who sucks. That that doesn't make any sense. The, both pieces have to connect to make a true arch enemy. I agree with that completely. Like we're we're all familiar, especially in the world of comics, with like the villains who really outclass the heroes. And I don't think we can have any of that here today. Like we we need both sides of the scale to be balanced. I'm just I just want to throw out there like I got nothing against a villain who's just in it for the power, you know, who yeah. just wants to control everything. But I mean, you've got Doctor Doom and Mister Fantastic sitting right there if you want to go with that dynamic, you know. Well, Doctor Doom <laughs> and Mister Fantastic are perfect. That's that's that's. But is My, it the Fantastic Four? Well, that was my que- my question being like, look, mm. Doctor Doom, arguably the greatest supervillain ever created in comics. Arguably, yeah. arguably, do the Fantastic Four even as a unit, let alone just Mister Fantastic, live up to the greatness of Doctor Doom? Are the scales balanced there? Oh wow. Okay, I'll just weigh in with a hot take right at four twenty p.m. as we tape this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. And that's the main problem of the Fantastic Four forever is that real, not even realistically, story wise, in an an engaging way, how does Doom always lose? It's always some like, oops, I fell into the fountain and my armor fried out. (laughs) I mean, it's not that, but it's that. You know what I'm saying? They make it to where he chips himself every time. And I get that. But there's only so many times that somebody that brilliant would do that. And I understand we're telling the same stories over and over again, but like, the plot armor they put on these losers to make them beat Doom. I don't know. It's just the, preposterous. <laughs> remind me of the story where Doom basically gets what, like cosmic power, and he kind of reforms the, is it the universe, the whole universe? I think it's the second Secret Wars or whatever basically yeah. happened, and he puts together the universe again. He gets all the power, and he t- puts together the universe in like a, roughly the form that he would want. There are little patches of weird stuff happened that he didn't quite finish or whatever as a new god but for the most part everything's chill and he has emissaries to go do shit for him he's formed a society where he's the head but then it also turns out terrible because doom's weakness is his tyranny and then doesn't reed come in and like basically get the powers the same powers from him and do a better job because he allows freedom um, it's Probably. not that he does a better job. Well, so so this was actually I did want to give this special mention because I would normally be 100% with Ed on this hot take, but that Secret Wars story and the Secret Avengers storyline that kind of led up to it with the Illuminati mm, was yeah. the, was the first time that I was feeling Reed Richards that mm, I was like, yeah. "Oh, I get this." Um And the way that he wins, so essentially, Doom himself did not steal all that power. He was getting the power um, through the Molecule Man, through some convoluted nonsense, but it it made sense in in the book. And so Reed Richards tricks the Molecule Man into taking the power away from Doom. 
the how is not as important as the emotional impact of their final fight scene where it's literally doom has stolen Mr. Fantastic's family away from him when he rewrote the universe, but the original Mr. Fantastic survived through some cosmic shenanigans and they finally have a showdown um, with both of them sort of stripped of power. And it's like, Mr. Fantastic is fighting to make the universe right and Doom ultimately is just fighting for his own pettiness. Like, he just hates Reed Richards so much. And I will say, I have always loved that personal grudge between them. And I think when when it's done well, when you understand that, like, Doom, Doom could be the ultimate badass, if not for how unreasonably obsessed he is with Reed Richards mm-hmm. like that becomes a really fun dynamic yep. yeah well that, as long as we're the there into my head on that so yeah yeah well as long as we're there as long as we're there let's stay there with Lex Luthor right and mm-hmm. I do not think it's I do not think it's uh shooting our wad too early because there's gonna be a lot of Lex Luthor talk because I, I think Lex Luthor is misunderstood as a bald American who wants to be rich and be the president, I must say, uh, Lex Luthor has a point. He has some great ideas. Uh, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. over there? What the fuck? I said oh, Lex Jesus. Luthor. I didn't say anybody else. I said Lex okay, Luthor. Got you. And Lex Luthor has some pretty good ideas from, you know, uh, from – keeping tabs on fucking uh, alien dudes who flew in from space and then pretended they were from Kansas. I don't like it, man. All that shit. He's like this lightning rod for all the, it's not even, it's, how can I say this? He's made of corporatism, xenophobia, and a certain sort of pragmatism in a stew that makes him the ultimate villain because he is so greedy for this earth. He can't stand being number two on this planet. He can't stand it. And literally he's number two. He's not number two. It isn't Batman. It's Lex Luthor as humans on this earth, people that occupy this earth, it's Superman and Lex Luthor and all these other people are below them. I'm telling you that presently. Because 100%. That's the only yeah. that's the only version that makes sense. But go ahead, mm-hmm. sorry. No, no, no. That that that's the point. It's just he has to be the other power of the world or else the shit don't work. And that's why I brought this up as like talk about balancing the scales. Superman may be a, a singular power, but the web of powers that Lex Luthor has, like we think of Kingpin, we're going to talk about Kingpin and Daredevil later, but like Lex Luthor is like Kingpin times 500. You, you know what I'm saying? Times 5 billion. Yeah. His his tendrils extend to multiverses and shit. I mean, I it's think, like, imagine if Elon Musk actually was smart. <laughs> I mean, I don't know that it's even that, right? I think, I think the whole idea, again, when it's done well, is that Lex Luthor essentially already runs the world. Yeah. Right. And it's it's the fact that Superman shows up and suddenly for the smartest man a lot, the smartest possibly richest, most connected man alive, suddenly there's something that he can't control, right? Yeah. Like that is to, it, it, he could be, a, he could be an alien. He could be somebody that crawled up out of the middle of the earth. It could be another human being. Like 
I always think anytime they lean into the xenophobia of Lex Luthor, you're totally missing the point, right? Mm. It's just the fact that there is now something on the board that he can't leverage control or bend to his whim. And Mm. that creates such an intense hatred that he can't let it go. And I think the other part of Lex Luthor is that he is sort of the perfect narcissist in fiction. Like Lex Luthor would not save the world unless everybody in the world knew that he saved it. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) he has such an intense hatred of people of the fact that he's so secure in the knowledge that everybody is worth less and less impressive than he is, that the only thing that gives him satisfaction is convincing them of that fact, because there's nothing else in the world for him. You know what I mean? And like when you put that guy up against the ultimate paragon of selflessness of the guy who will kill himself for no reward and for no recognition, they can't help but hate each. And I don't think the hate ever flows from Superman toward Luther, but Luther can't help but hate that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Superman they, actually yeah. feels bad for him in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's he's, right. He's more disappointed in the guy. He's like, you could be doing anything, and this is what you're doing? Like, like I don't want to cure cancer. I want to make people into dinosaurs. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, and and let me just say that obviously, you know, I've got strong opinions on all this, but you're so dead on, Ron. And I think more than the disappointment, Luthor scares Superman because the the entire point of what Superman does is that he believes as long as he can keep people safe, human beings will continue to become something wondrous. Like that idea that Krypton was this perfect society that conquered ignorance and hate and starvation and like all the things that we wish were not here on Earth were gone on Krypton and through like this cosmic happenstance, it was erased, right? Superman has this conviction that as long as he can stop that from ever happening to Earth, we will even be better than Krypton ever was. And the fact that Luthor is the most gifted person on Earth and also the most selfish and the most needlessly cruel mm-hmm. is like that. To me, that is Superman's greatest fear that given space to become better versions of ourselves, we will only become more petty, more violent, more hateful. And that's why I think it run. That's the direction I think it runs from Superman toward Luthor is that Luthor scares the shit out of Superman. Like that's interesting. If, if this is what the elevated human being actually looks like, why the fuck am I doing any of this? Hmm. Yeah, man. And I, I love the subversion of that and stuff like Red Sun, where it's like yeah. you know some of the uh, ambition might have made the Kryptonians back and forth. There's so much shit like that in their clash so that's why we had to mention them really up top because again it's like batman if batman was the person who had to fight lex Luthor on this planet then lex Luthor would really run this planet if it was only him and it was just like a (laughs) two-man gang fight between them Uh it's like 
I'll put on this mech suit. And I'm gonna rip your mech suit in half, and I'm gonna beat <laughs> your ass in my office. And I'm and I'm gonna have a fucking some secretary that can lift fifty tons throw your bitch ass down the elevator shaft like John McClane. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that's just what's gonna happen to you. You fuck it with me. I fight Superman on the daily, homie. What the fuck? What <laughs> yeah. did you think? <laughs> that's so funny. yeah. I just uh I just remember the there's tell me if I'm remembering this correctly. I think it's an all-star Superman, but it's been a while. Isn't there a point when Lex makes some comment about, oh yeah, I could have cured cancer a long time ago. I just I just didn't well, see what was in it for me. Superman says it to Luthor. Like essentially, um Luthor at the end at the end of the story right? Luthor has stolen Superman's powers, but they wear off and he's about to take another dose of the super serum, but Superman's speeds takes it out of his hand. And Luthor essentially has kind of a fit. And he's like, no, I just need more time with a little bit more time. I could have saved the world. And Superman just cold cocks him, knocks him out in one punch and says, you could have saved the world years ago if it mattered to you. And like That's that was, that yeah. is like just the ultimate distillation of that dynamic. Yeah. Well, yeah. And the thing is, he was having the last vestiges of having Superman's all awareness. You know what I'm saying? Like when right. you're when you're when you're that aware, you're that supercharged with all that shit. He was like on a higher level, like mentally, even though he was still kind of evil, he was still like thinking higher level thoughts. And as that was wearing off, like Salvia at a fucking house party in, in 98, <laughs> as that was wearing off, he was having that last vestiges of that wisdom. And then it's just like, yeah, but like you could have had that so long ago. You didn't need to take those drugs to, to get wise. You could have just got wise, dumbass. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, and so I, I love that part about them being a dyad, as it were. Uh, speaking of dyads, mm-hmm. do you think that Kylo Ren is the arch nemesis of Ray. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, that's not a bad arch enemies pairing as it goes, right? Like as it goes, as it goes, because say what you will about those movies. I think the conflict between Ray and Kylo Ren was pretty strong through all three movies and certainly peaked in the second one. Interesting. And- I didn't even think about that. Uh, and I can't believe you brought it up. <laughs> I'm full of surprises. It is a really good story because they each push each other in in direct and like in direct conflict, but also they relate to each other at the same time. That's interesting. Well, there. I mean, yeah. There's there's something very poetic about setting it up. And again, I I credit this all to Ryan Johnson. I think he's the one who sort of found this thread and crystallized it. But, like, they're both the refuse of this larger story, right? Like, they're Mm. both just discarded by the would-be heroes and would-be supervillains of the story. And so for them to find each other and both try to take the story back and both fail to do so and both be tempted by the other... Like there is something pretty poetic and pretty archetypal there that mm-hmm. I think, you know, the rest of the movies maybe didn't really live up yeah. to their support. But yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what it what it what it was was I was flying directly towards 
something like Darth Vader and uh, Luke Skywalker. And I was like, God, that has been talked about to death. What are some of the ways that people tried to do something like that mm. and flipped it? And Palpatine basically talking to a, a young uh, Skywalker, more or less, the, you know, Skywalker solo, whatever, you know, Organa. Uh, t- yeah, a Palpatine talking to one of those through a mind link because they're two pieces of the force or whatever. It's pretty fresh, dude. That's pretty fresh. And I, I wish some of those um, Star Wars animations they put on Disney Plus would just like, I let's just do a Clone Wars of the years of conflict yes. between Ray and Homeboy, and as they got to know each other and almost, you know, you know, uh, Ross and Rachel a few times, almost killed each other a few times, and at the end of it is X Y Z that happens. You know, a little revisionist history. I would love history. to see that. I would yeah. love to see that. Um, also, by it, the, it, which, go oh, ahead. sorry, my last comment on that. Some of the only real sexual chemistry in all of Star Wars. You know I what mean, I mean? Like, I mean, <laughs> that's like the True. only time you could watch two people, you know, will they, won't they on screen and be like, yeah, this is kind of hot. Like, well, besides, two. besides Lando and that robot bitch. Oh, well, fair mean, enough. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she would not like you calling her a bitch. I just want to point that out. <laughs> she would not call, want me to call her anything organic. So that's it doesn't matter. Good point. Good point. Um, <laughs> You know what's interesting? You guys got me thinking. I'm going to make a weird argument. Uh-oh. Palpatine and Yoda. That's as arch nemesis of being mentors. <laughs> it's like, it's like uh, they're like setting up a chessboard. They're just putting their rock'em, sock'em robot out there and be like, ah, oh, you fucked him up and chopped him up, eh? Well, I'm going to put him back together. <laughs> It's like battle bots. They were playing battle bots with the Skywalker family. <laughs> I mean, if you look at the entire prequels era, right? Like it is essentially those two guys sending a bunch of analogs for themselves out to fight each other or fighting the other guy's analog. And it like finally comes to a head in episode three where they have a real duel between them. And then Yoda loses and goes to sulk like a bitch for a long time. Yeah. But, like, yeah, goes and whines <laughs> and lives on a weird ass swamp planet instead of like I don't know helping. Yeah, and and instead what he does is he finally gets another mentor and he's like, ah, oh, this is the good mentor. This is the this is the one I was looking for, and then mentors that student to be Palpatine's student, and uh, <laughs> there you go. They just happen to also be father and son. Well, Wait, Yoda, all, all Yoda, and Palpatine are father and yeah. son. You didn't know that. Oh uh, yeah, dude. Because yeah, after homeboy got all fu- his face and shit got all fucked up, he went and he fucked some chick in a time loop, and yeah. it was nine hundred years ago. Yep. And so Yoda is like, that's why he's got such beef. He's like, Dad, you've Love left it. me alone, and I, I I eat frogs in a swamp, motherfucker. You're in a palace. Oh, but I've wormed my way up through the Jedi Order, and I'm gonna fuck you up now. I've gotten close, closer and closer to the Senate over years. Eight hundred years of work to get close to the Senate, just so I can get you in this timeline. Yeah, dude. Nice. Although apparently, for the first hundred years, he could barely talk uh, of his. Ex- yeah, he was like, you know, but <laughs> like that, rubbing his hands together evilly for hundred and fifty years while he matured. Well, I mean, listen, he, you know. So, so like, is Professor X and Magneto arch nemesis? Yeah. Okay. Why would they not? Why would they not be? Well, because 
the X-Men, oh, I guess they're also, are they also? Sending their analogs, yep. Sending their analogs. Oh, my gosh. So yeah, who's man. the better teacher? And it's all, I mean, it's also like that is where the ideological rift happens, right? Like, yeah. essentially, everybody else is just acting on one of their two arguments. So, like, it does, it has to trace back to them. Oh, that's super interesting. So, okay, we found an arch nemesis uh, for Professor X, Charles Xavier. It is Magneto. I think we can all agree with that. I don't think there's anybody bigger for him to have a fight with. So, is that. A balance is that an even thing? I they're both Omega level. They're you know without the helmet, Charles would fucking shut down Magneto in a fucking millisecond. So wh where are we at? What do you think? I mean, I think it's I, I think it's one of the great you know one of the great arch nemesis setups in comics. I also think that like at this point they've done everything they possibly can with those two characters. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know yes. that there's any story mileage left out yeah. of those two guys as arch enemies, which is why it seems like for the past 10 years or so, they've essentially just been portrayed as friends kind of, you know, up to the point with, with Jonathan Hickman's X-Men run that began with house of X powers of X. They're not just friends. Like they are straight up allies working together for the greater good. So that might be like an arch enemy ship that ran its course because it was just, it was exploited too much, you know? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fucking absolutely correct. Just like the Joker and the goddamn Batman. Yep. Let's do yeah. it. Let's do it presently okay. because they're supposed to be such arch enemies and they are. I am not such a fool that just because I hate that the greatest tactician and martial artist in the world and the greatest stunt driver and the greatest everything has these goofy fights with this this little baby clown and they're and on the acid trick works for the 87th time and the and the goons wear them down and all that crap every fucking time. I'll wade through all of that because homeboy's chaos and Batman's trying to impose order, but Batman ends up making a bunch of chaos and Joker ends up imposing order to make all this Rube Goldberg saw shit happen in the city to fuck up Batman. He ends up being really organized to fuck up Batman and Batman turns out to be really chaotic chasing him. Mm -hmm. It's a nice balance. It works. It's fucking, you know, it's, van it's vanilla ice cream. They, they, they fought motherfuckers all across the plains for vanilla. You know what I'm saying? Vanilla is a serious spice that motherfuckers I mean, died for. And we've gotten some great, great runs of comics. Killing Joke, I think everyone agrees, is a pretty solid run of comics, right? Well, it's well, a comic. Yeah, it's a, it's a single graphic it's, novel. It's a single graphic novel, but yeah. I mean, yeah, some of the great Batman stories of all time feature the Joker and across mm -hmm. media, right? In comics, in animation, yep. in movies. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I do think there's a reason that in the past, again, 10 years or so, you know, the Joker has essentially been portrayed alternatively as like a dark god of the multiverse, a Jokerized version of Batman. Like he's he loses his Jokerishness in the mm -hmm. beyond in the the uh, Sean Murphy White Knight. He's like a Jekyll and Hyde character who dies and then exists as a digital ghost like they keep trying to make fetch happen with the Joker in all these different ways because the core conflict order versus chaos, you know, uh, all the, all the kind of mythological stuff that they're representing as these two opposing forces 
all the great stories have kind of been milked out of that already. So we're done. Mm -hmm. We're done with Joker and Batman. So here's a question. Um, since we've, 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 we've hit a couple where, you know, the stories have been milked. Um, mm -hmm. So what are some ones that you think where the story still has availability? Is there any new guys, any, any, um, anything that pops into your head right away where you're like, Oh, there's still more stories to explore. I think that's tough because so often, you know, where, where an arch enemy ship or a rivalry feels the most, um, call it pregnant with possibility is like early in a story. And I would mm -hmm. say that like Rocky and Apollo Creed was an amazing arch rivalry up until the moment when they got, they became friends and you realize like, Oh, that's an even better story. You know what I mean? Like it's hard to keep the sauce simmering when the battle plays out so many times over and over again. Yeah. The sauce simmering. That's a, that's a very Italian metaphor. <laughs> well, you know, man, this is you're going to get to me. But, like, but so like one that comes to mind for me is invincible versus thrag, which is like a very specific reference to only the invincible comics because we haven't gotten there yet in the, in the TV series. But like, the Viltrumite that ends up becoming the emperor and, you know, has a long sort of um, arch enemy relationship with Mark. That's an amazing story. And like, I don't know that I would want to see more of it because they took it to a really satisfying conclusion. And I'm just pointing out that like Invincible as a comic is a hundred and it's less than 150 issues. And that's all you get. And still, I feel like I got all I needed out of that arch enemy relationship. Ooh, okay, perfect. So sometimes you're getting the ultimate story. So like, for instance, uh, Spider-Man, one of my favorite characters, but I don't know who I would choose for his arch nemesis. Like, I don't think well, it's Doc Ock. I don't think well, we it's had Venom. that conundrum. We had that conundrum when we were trying to do his greatest villains, villains. Uh, as far as like, and we were trying to get to like list them and get to number one. And yeah. I think that's why what we settled on when you really look at what an arch nemesis does, it seems like they, they just, they counteract all of your strengths there, or they're just as strong as you in exactly what you do either mm. or. And sometimes they do like both. That's why when we got to it, Venom was the fucking arch nemesis because Venom mm. does everything that Peter Parker does, nullifies his spider sets, knows all his weaknesses, is everywhere he wants to be, has his memories through the suit in his fucking brain. All this, all this like knowledge of Peter and hatred of Peter. That's what made him like a perfect arch nemesis out of all the people who fight Spider-Man. If you're going to talk about if we could take it to the logical conclusion and have one of them fucking die that would be the one that killed them. It seems like a Dr. Octopus wants to do a lot of shit. Killing Peter Parker is sometimes part of it, but a lot of times not fucking getting revenge is what Venom's all about. Well, and, you know? and let me, let me one up that a little bit because you, you can obviously like make the argument that green goblin is his arch nemesis because he, you know, killed his girlfriend famously. And they have this personal connection with his best friend and yada, yada. But like the green goblin doesn't represent anything thematically that challenges Spider-Man. I will say with Venom, he is the thematic opposite of Spider-Man as well, because Spider-Man's whole shtick is like, 
I'm going to get punched in the face by life and by supervillains, but I'm going to just keep getting up because I know with great power comes great responsibility. Eddie Brock is like the biggest whining bitch in the world. And for that, he gets rewarded with power greater than Spider-Man's. Like Eddie Brock's whole thing is life punched me and I got down on the ground and started blaming fucking Spider-Man for everything because I can't take any accountability. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's sort of like I got no power and therefore I got no responsibility and Spider-Man's the fucking problem. And so it's like there's a to me, at least there's a great sort of hidden thematic confrontationalism there because it's like. Yeah, and and it stops the thing that we just talked. We talked about on our Patreon. We talked about uh, in um, across the Spider Verse. Uh, one of the things we talked about is one of Spider Man's best skills and the things that he's the best at is saving people. Mm. And then when he's fighting bad guys, he's not fighting bad guys to fight bad guys. He's trying to save people in that moment or get away from the bad guys. And with Venom, he can't do any of that. He doesn't have people to save because Venom's not really trying to hurt anybody else but him yeah. like <laughs> it's it's it, he's not he's not in the involved with 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 saving anybody and he has a hard time outrunning it he has That's a hard true. time being as slippery so yeah. it really is an interesting arch nemesis for for your character's sensibilities and what he's trying to actually accomplish with his powers it, it it's weird because your arch nemesis isn't interfering with the things that you would normally do he's just interfering with you right Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think I think if we look outside of comics, we can find that, you know, villains or heroes sort of hell bent on revenge make for good arch enemies. And I know that I brought this character up um, in a previous episode when we were talking about greatest deaths, but the arch enemy ship between. Russell Crowe and Joaquin Phoenix between Maximus and Commodus in Gladiator. Yeah. yeah, Is fucking epic, dude. And that really just comes down to the pettiness of Commodus. I envy the fact that my father treated you more like a son than he ever did me. And the shit that he does to Maximus causing Maximus to want revenge. Husband of a murdered wife, father of a murdered child, and I will have my vengeance. Mm-hmm. And like that distilled, you know, both guys have this personal axe to grind that will never be satisfied. Damn, what a great recipe for a fucking arch enemy relationship. Yeah, that is yeah. a beautiful one. And what a masterful way to keep homeboy from getting his ass kicked for two and a half hours. You know what I'm saying? Well, Just like, right. Way way to keep them apart because I mean that's the one thing I can say that stuff like Game of Thrones keyed in on. It's just like, oh, somebody does you so dirty and they make you wait and wait and wait until you get them. And even when you get them, it's like, ah, oh, you got me so much, I got you now. But like, fuck, man, you killed my dog, you th- threw my threw my dragon in a fucking lake, <laughs> whatever the fuck uh, injustices, chopped my dick off, all those weird fucked up injustices people endured. Even when some of them got revenge, it was like, what could ever be enough? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, and I mean, to that point, one of my favorite little celebrated um, rivalries in comics, actually, which came up during an episode that we did of Reboot It, is actually Green Lantern and Mongol. The fact that, like, Mongol murdered Green Lantern's entire city and 
ostensibly everybody he loved, not even out of malice, but almost as like an afterthought to some bigger plan. And like, I'm well on record. I love the fact that that drives Hal Jordan to become parallax and want to rewrite the universe. I think that's good shit. But like in the comics themselves, just having Mongol be a little bit like uh, M. Bison in the Street Fighter movie, like to you, <laughs> it was the most important day of your life. But to me, it was Tuesday. Like, <laughs> shit like that goes a long way. I love that. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. you guys got me thinking since you brought up movies, I'm just going to. You know who does a really good job with making good arch nemesis? And it's going to sound crazy, but it's Adam Sandler. Okay. Shooter McGavin. I'm one just, of the all time. I'm saying like Shooter <laughs> McGavin is a fucking great arch nemesis in that movie. Yeah. Like he's super selfish. He just wants to be yeah. seen as the best. He's also like, you almost like, even though he's a dick, you almost kind of like he has earned his way to be the best. Like this is his year, right? Oh, yeah. Like he's worked for 20 years trying to become the best golfer he can. And now some fucking doofus who's just trying to save his grandma's house is, is, <laughs> is getting in the way of him being, getting the attention he deserves. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. they just set that up. Perfect. Mm -hmm. You're not wrong, dude. No, yeah. I mean, all, all and comedy movies like that need one. Yeah, I mean, and the other one that I, that came to mind is Wedding Singer. Uh, oh, shit. Yeah, the guy is, uh, what's his name? Greg Gulia or something? Yeah. Glenn, Wait. Glenn Gulia. Wait a minute, and, so if you get married, your name is going to be Julia Gulia? <laughs> <laughs> and just how opposite they are as people. Like, mm -hmm. Adam Sandler's character is this creative guy who wants to be in a band and find the super true one love of his life type of guy. And Glenn is this fucking douchebag business guy who doesn't give a shit and is marrying this girl just because mm -hmm. he's like, well, she's hot and I get, I'm going to cheat on her anyway. So who gives a shit? You know what I mean? And it's like, that's such a great arch nemesis for a goofy ass wedding singer who just wants to find love. So I just want to say that's those those are good arch nemesis. I mean, I think Ed hit on it, though, like when you're going to do something that needs to be sort of as straightforward and as arch as like a straight up comedy movie, it it really matters that you just put two people on a collision course that's sort of universally understandable and watch what happens when they collide. Like that's sort of the essence of a good just you know cut up slapstick type comedy the karate kid even you know Ooh. the karate kid series is more it's like a dramedy sure but the movie was like a drama mm. you know what i mean so like they kind of lean into the fact that this is kind of stupid as hell and they have karate fights and high school classes and shit like that but obviously the classic uh how i met your mother joke of like yeah johnny is the victim here you know his chick got hit on by this dweeb from new york and just his his summer was ruined. He was supposed to be the karate champ, and all of a sudden he's mixed up with this Larusso. And I think I think they qualify. You don't have those movies without like that douche who's threatened by you, you know. Mm. Or, or if if Larusso's family didn't move into that town, you know, if he wasn't on the make for Elizabeth Shue, you <laughs> know, who wouldn't, who wouldn't be? Come on, yeah, come on. So like homeboy just couldn't hold down. Hey, Elizabeth Shue was for the streets, and then a bunch of motherfuckers got their ass beat. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> That's what happened. 
<laughs> that whole saga. Describe <laughs> a movie badly. Elizabeth's <laughs> <laughs> shoes for the streets. And people got to get their ass beat. I mean, that's it pretty much. I mean, I think, though, you know, you, you make the distinction that one is a comedy, one's a dramedy, and then, you know, Karate Kid is essentially a drama. But I think it's not so much about, like, comedy versus drama. It's about if the story you're trying to tell is arch, right? So it's like mm. if the characters are archetypal and they're fitting into archetypes, that's where you really get these sort of arch enemy. Again, it's right there in the name, arch enemy pairings. And like the one other honorable mention I have to give as far as we're talking movie comedies has got to be uh big Earn and Roy Munson in Kingpin. Oh like, yeah. Woody Harrelson versus Bill Murray in Kingpin. Like that yeah. shit is just gold. It's, it's real arch enemy shit. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like they're, they've got a past. The young up and comer was going to supplant the guy who'd been working mm-hmm. for it very much like happy Gilmore. But yep. then through a uh, through a setup, right, like Woody Harrelson's life is ruined by Bill Murray. Then Bill Murray goes on to like riches and women and as we see in the commercials. And then they have to meet again for a final showdown for Woody Harrelson to like uh, redeem himself. I, there's there's a lot of complicated back and forth in that uh, in that rivalry. Yeah. I mean, oh, dude. And real quick, I just wanted to shout out like an honorable mention arch enemy. Um, John Rambo and the military industrial complex. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, Ed, that is (laughs) fucking perfect. (laughs) They're arch enemies. (laughs) Oh man. Oh, that's beautiful. Is it possible to be somebody's arch enemy with only one adventure? Like I'm thinking Mm -hmm. is John McClane's greatest enemy the Gruber family, you know, since they menaced him and two of the 87 movies he uh-huh. did as, as McLean, uh-huh. you know what yeah. I mean? Is that the arch? It'd be like him and that family just get almost like Palpatine and Palpatine's Skywalkers. You know what I'm saying? It's just, we're d- intertwined through history. We're destined to do this dance forever. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> hey, by the way, uh, the, 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 the convicts, the convicts didn't blow up the thing. To, uh, fuck. <laughs> I really, I really thought they would have blown up the thing. Why would I do this? Why would I get put Ed down this path? Um, I mean, I think that's interesting, though. Like, a you know, one guy versus a dynasty in yeah. you know maybe Shakespearean terms. Mm. Um, I could see that as qualifying. I mean, let's flip it. <laughs> let's flip it on its head. As far as one guy versus a family, Voldemort versus the Potter family. Oh man, I think that might go in the category of greatest haters. You know? <laughs> well, the funny thing is that um, in the end, Voldemort is his own worst enemy. The way he dies is because of he's being cocky. Literally, that's why he just hates Harry Potter so much. And yeah. Harry Potter's just there, being like, "What the fuck is going on? What did I ever do?" So it's like, <laughs> it's yeah. It's hard to really classify them as arch enemies because, like, that's such a weird dynamic. But I don't you know. know. I'm going to make this argument. Dumbledore is the real arch nemesis of Voldemort. And Voldemort's a pussy and won't ever go against him head to head because Voldemort's Ooh. a coward. Oh, that's, that's a, really that's my own opinion of the guy. It's a strong argument that's only backed up by those aggressively mediocre Fantastic Beasts movies. 
but they yeah, do even, bolster your argument. Yeah, he even tries to he keeps trying to get somebody else to he has to get somebody else to kill uh Dumbledore because he's just a coward. He doesn't mm. want to go have a straight up head to head fight with with Dumbledore because he knows his bitch ass will lose. He knows he will lose. And so he sends somebody else and he hates Harry Potter because he tried to kill that kid and he was defenseless and he should have been able to kill him. And instead it got him. And that's it. Harry Potter is a forever reminder that he's a bitch. Yeah. That's why Dumbledore <laughs> hates Harry Potter. It's... Or excuse me, that's why Voldemort hates Harry Potter. That's it. That's it. Yeah. I mean, really, when you when you delve into it, that's really what it's about. And I don't even count I don't even know if Dumb I think literally I think Voldemort is his own arch nemesis just because he can't get out of his own fucking way. Yeah. He could have just been the second greatest wizard of all time and been cool with that, but instead he's got to be all pissed off and be like, no, I'm the greatest. That's it. Yeah. Also, uh, can I name a, a arch villain where it's just like, okay, this is for the dishonorable list. Um, sure. Black Manta and Aquaman, I just never got. <laughs> yeah. I just never got. I never got it. The scales aren't balanced. The hatred between them doesn't make any sense. And I understand some dork is going to come and put the put in the chat the fucking um, you know, the story of how it happened. But just taken out of context, just Black Manta just really hates the Atlanteans and like kills them and like throws his son, throws uh, Arthur's son into bad situations and shit, tries to kill his babies and his, his family and shit. Cause he's just like hates Atlanteans so much. And yada, yada, yada. it's just, it's just this weird hollow thing. And plus your enemy is this big headed fucker with laser eyes. You're an Aquaman. Why the fuck is your enemy a big head fuck with laser eyes? None of this makes any sense. Like aesthetically, why, why is this black dude beefing with this undersea dude? I'm not saying anything about black, black dudes at swimming. We've been in the Navy for a while and there's, and there's pirate and they, Hey, was a, he was a, he had a pirate lineage. He had all types of shit that tied him to the sea. I love that for him. But why are you beefing with this fucker? You know what I'm saying? You got laser eyes, go rob a bank on land and, and mm. fuck off. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't get it. I don't yeah. get homeboy's sovereignty of the sea. Black Manta's beef with the Atlanteans is boring and it's never penetrated pop culture the way that any of these other rivalries have. I love that. I love that as a run of comics where black Manta's like, you know what? I'm going to stop fucking with the C. This is not working out for me. Then he, yes. goes to, <laughs> then he goes to like, you know, coast city. And he's like, ah, shit. Then he goes to star labs and he's like, ah, fuck. Then he goes to Metropolis. He's like, ah, it's not working. Where do I go to be a good villain? God Dude, damn. If Black Manta took his bitch ass to Bloodhaven, he'd be laser eye and all types of those losers. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but I was just going to say, though, Black Manta just needs to go to Bloodhaven one time, feel like he's really owning shit. And then have this dude with a weird blue and yellow costume come up and just whoop his ass to be like, <laughs> fuck, that's it. I'm going back to the oceans. Yeah. 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 That's hilarious. Um, I mean, yeah, he's pretty lame. I, speaking of lame arch enemies, DC is rife with these. And <laughs> I, I would be remiss to not bring up Wonder Woman and Cheetah. Because you want to talk about that might be the only one that's worse than Aquaman and Black Manta. Because you want to talk about a total mismatch with absolutely no like thematic or in-story justification. Yeah. How the fuck does demigoddess Wonder Woman from a hidden island 
become an arch enemy with a woman who can shape shift into a cat lady. Like, I mean, how does that even make sense? I mean, Wonder Woman's arch nemesis should be uh, who's who's uh, Dark Side's uh, mommy. What's her name? Granny mommy? Goodness. Granny Goodness. That's who it is. Granny Goodness is who should be. I would love to see an arch nemesis story from them because at least there's like god like potential in both worlds. You know what I mean? That's Dude, at least I, there's. Again, go go see our rebooted episode. I've always felt like the one DC hero that the, the whole New Gods mythology connects to best is Wonder Woman. Yeah, like the mm-hmm. and they're just DC is just cowards because they can't just commit to the idea that the old gods are dead, and so Zeus and Hercules and all those motherfuckers are just not going to be in their comics. Fuck them, and the New Gods took over. Like if they could just commit, Wonder Woman would be ten times more interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because it'd be Wonder Woman versus all of that apocalypse shit and blah, 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 which they they just lamely put off on Superman. What does Superman have to do with this basically other dimension and stuff? They just wanted him to fight Darkseid so bad. It's just like, why don't you just work on making Lex Luthor cooler? You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, and so for there was there was big eras where Lex Luthor wasn't cool. He's gotten rejuvenated and, and different stuff has happened to him, you know. Remember that so time he had hair? What the fuck? <laughs> And an Australian accent. Don't forget That's that. That's terrible. Ugh, gross. <laughs> oh, I, I really, I really do think though. When you look at arch nemeses, I would just twist the DC universe to make Big Barda her enemy. Like something bad happened thousands of years ago on a, on another planet or something. Like thousands of years ago in Greek times, Wonder Woman was taken to another planet, and Big Barda and them were fighting on it. And they had a real knockdown, drag out, slobber knocker for years, and it's in their past. And every time they see each other, they kind of twitch up because they had to do some terrible shit to escape War World or whatever the fuck. And they can go through yeah. that thing you guys were talking about, well, like with Charles and Magneto, where then then the story becomes that they're friends yeah. eventually, yeah. and they team yeah. up to, to do good together or whatever. That yep. that actually is. Look, go to YouTube right now. Yeah. Search Reboot It. Find our Wonder Woman episode of Reboot It. And prepare yourself for the greatest Wonder Woman story you've ever heard, because Dude. literally nothing will ever beat what we came up with for Wonder Woman. <laughs> it was so Dude. good. It we was ki- so we good. really killed it on that one. Uh, rebooted on YouTube by us guys. Also, I I think if you're looking at arch arch enemies, we talked about Moriarty on a couple of ex- episodes, mm. mm-hmm. uh, and I don't, like I said, I don't want to talk about it too much because it's been examined so much. But the the right nemesis is trying to do what you're trying to do in the opposite direction. A lot of the times so the, to be a genius of crime, you know, to be someone who is so you're two steps away from every crime that happens so that they can't incriminate you, but you, but all signs for this br- beautiful mind point to this guy, Moriarty have, having done the shit mm-hmm, uh, yeah. Moriarty and Sherlock kind of fit that mold. You exist to challenge me. I exist to challenge you. I agree with that completely. I mean, I think a lot of comic book arch rivalries are striving to achieve something sort of as pure as that. And honestly, I want to give credit, too, to the Robert Downey Jr. movies sort of retro or retconning Moriarty. I guess they planned it from the beginning, but making Moriarty kind of the power behind everything that happens in the first movie, but not revealing him until the second movie really Mm -hmm. cements that kind of arch nemesis feel because it's like, oh yeah, this guy, you know, it isn't just a one-off adventure. Like he has, even if I haven't realized that he's been worming his way into my life for years. um, Yeah. Which is pretty vital to arch nemesis territory. 
Absolutely. Well, yeah, that's why they always try to do that weird shit like, yeah, Alfred, you remember when you were sleeping in your bed? I'm the Joker. I was under your bed. <laughs> I was, you know, like, oh, come on, man. Like they want, they always want to go back in time and freak shit out. You know what I mean? Because right. in comics, you can only go in a future state sort of situation, or you can go back if you want to build some new canon. So uh, there's a lot of that. Like, hey, you remember you're you were a little kid and you saw something in the night? It was me. It was like, okay, great. Well, that's like that. that I mean, they did that very, very lamely with Blofeld in the James Bond movies, the, the new ones with Daniel Craig. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah. oof, that just does not land at all, man. No. Yeah. Not, that, not, and also not just doesn't make sense. Like, yeah. Oh, not, why would that character be doing that specifically against Bond? Like, it doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't get it. And I don't want to talk about Captain Cold and the flash because that doesn't make <laughs> no goddamn sense either. <laughs> Again, reverse flash. Yeah, but it's Ugh. it's it's Captain Cold and the Flash, according to as, as much canon as really? there is between them. There's wow. there's way there's way less, I think, reverse flash stories than Captain Cold stories. You're probably right. And there's more Captain Cold stories by far than I mean, I think any other flash That's thing. fucking terrible. <laughs> Listen, to, to be fair, like reverse flash isn't a ton better in so much as like, at least originally in the comics, his whole thing was like I came back to be a villain to challenge you to be the best version of a hero you can be, which yeah. then Jeff Johns retconned into essentially the Jack Nicholson Joker origin, where it's like, I became your nemesis, but I also was the one who killed your mom. And it's like, <laughs> I, very nefarious, but I, that never really got over on me. You know, it's, it's, it feels a little, <laughs> feels a little much. It's kind of a hat on a hat. Yeah. It does. It's yeah. It's like a triple hat on a hat. So here's a yeah. question for you guys. This is. Uh, I don't think we've ever talked about this. Captain America and Red Skull. Huh. I don't know if it's good, but I'm. But I also know that they are arch nemesis, and on paper, that shit makes sense. I kind of love yeah. it. You know what I mean? Like for that, I mean, for that reason on paper, it makes sense. And like the visual is amazing. Um, the fact that like the Nazis are being championed by this hideously deformed freak. And then the America is being championed by an Aryan Superman. Like the, <laughs> the irony of that is kind of amazing. The yeah. fact that they both represent like these archetypal powers from, you know, possibly the most righteous war ever fought, you know, in the history of the world. Um, there again, I don't know that I can name you a story where I'm like, Oh man, like this story between those two was so fucking great. It's more just like the concept and the visual works so well that I, yeah. I, it has to get honorable mention at least. Yeah. I just don't, I, it's so funny because it, they really are good, but I also don't care at all. I don't. Well, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. It's like so interesting. When when Brubaker, I think, started writing the stuff where I think um, Red Skull got the Cosmic Cube, and where he like remade the Cosmic Cube and started doing some weird shit with it, and blah blah blah. That shit was pretty hot, and I think that was right around the same era as like you know Winter Soldier stuff and that whole run. I think that kind of guy. I think. The problem is they started making that world a spy world and you can't spy on nobody with a big red skull. You know what I'm saying? So it was like he was a superhero villain in this new spy milieu. 
and it mm. didn't quite make sense. It was kind of garish, but I mean, they could have still pulled it off. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but I just think that there's this, if we're ranking Marvel villains, strike the fuck up. The Kingpin is better than the Red Skull period. Yeah. Mm. He's like, he's like kind of way better. If you mm. look, even if you go back through Canon and you look at the stuff, like, unless you just hate Daredevil or you hate Spider-Man and you hate the fact that he used to roll around on a big wheel and shit and <laughs> slam people <laughs> up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like he was doing all types of bullshit back, back in the days with Spider-Man. But once he kind of settled down into being a crime villain, I, I think those stories have more weight than the others. Pun, pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. again, I mean, if, if you're talking about the, what he goes up against Spider-Man, he's definitely the opposite of Spider-Man. He wants, <laughs> he wants to harm people. And he wants to have control of everybody. And he doesn't give a shit about what's happening to anybody else but himself. And But he's also and, rich, well-connected, lives in luxury. Yeah. yeah. A I humble mean, you know, spice merchant. A humble spice merchant. Merchant, yeah. And the, and I think with Daredevil, it's it's pretty much the same as well, even though there's probably, weirdly, maybe no one will like me for saying this, a little more similarities because of how rough Daredevil can get, depending on things. Spider-Man tries not to fuck up regular dudes for living as much as Daredevil's like, yeah, I'll, I'll fucking break your leg. I don't, I don't give a shit. You ever seen that comic book issue where Spider-Man gets arrested just so he could go into prison and give Kingpin a, a beating on the prison yard? No. Yes, I, I've I've read Spider-Man? that. Spider-Man or yeah, Spider-Man. So so yeah, so essentially, uh, Kingpin like finds out Spider-Man's identity and is in prison, but is like still masterminding like threats to harm Aunt May or Mary Jane or whoever. And so Spider-Man gets arrested, gets thrown into prison, and then straight up gives Kingpin a fucking prison yard beatdown in front of everybody to just to threaten him and be like, you ever come for me? Like, I will fucking kill you. Like, it's pretty mm-hmm. awesome. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, that's not very Peter-like, but it's also, that is still pretty dope. Yeah. Well, I mean, that came down to he really had to show that motherfucker and show other people as well i mean putting mm-hmm. P- peter parker in a prison milieu <laughs> say that five times fast uh you know i think that was kind of the point of that story and i i think there's a space between making um punisher a ghost or something and and doing something like that with peter parker you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. there's a space between those things like both of them are extremes and both of them seem out of character but one of them is just in bounds enough for you to see that they're just stretching this this is a situation he hadn't been in before right i mean i think it was the fact that it w- it was sort of the exception that proved the rule like exactly the, the thing that he was the, the reason he wears the mask in general is because he has this anxiety that like the people he loves are going to get hurt and then his identity is revealed and suddenly there's a villain who's explicitly threatening to do that thing that's always been his greatest fear like, yeah, that's going to make him the exception. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I also do think, though, I mean, let's get down to the nitty gritty. His his uh, anonymity of Daredevil is serious business. And I'm not just going to it's not going to be some giant Daredevil speech. I'm just saying Daredevil and Kingpin and prop each other up. They're responsible for events in each other's lives. It seems like some of the uh, early places that Daredevil was busted before he even knew who he was fighting were some Kingpin things. I think some of the. um 
some of the things about how they inhabit the world overlap and they had, and he really kind of hates daredevil for a little bit for just getting, being a fly in the ointment, but it gets super personal. It gets really personal later as he finds out more and more and more. And that makes it like, to me, the arch enemy shit that it never, it never really was even that story or uh, that later story, notwithstanding that bill was just talking about that's them trying to graduate Peter Parker into being, in the same sort of personal anonymity as he's kind of had for daredevil for 25 years. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I think it's just, it's just really dope that they really hate each other. And last things last, it's the, one of the final enemies where if you fight your way all the way to him, you might get your ass beat. I talked about the King Finn's fighting prowess when he's not fighting goddamn Spider-Man. That dude's a bad motor scooter. It's yeah. he's 600 pounds and ready to throw down 600 pounds and about 14% body fat. Maybe. And he's mm-hmm. gonna fuck your whole shit up, you know what I mean? And it's just you're you're done. You're really done fucking with him. He fights ninjas for breakfast. I eat cream berries for breakfast. <laughs> I've always yeah. loved that, you know, almost incidental antagonism that turns personal because mm-hmm. it's like if you are gonna posit a guy who's like the ultimate graduation of just the mob earner, right? Like. He just started as a low-level mob guy and worked his way up to controlling everything. He's going to be that guy. Like, oh, you got in my way? I'm going to send somebody to kill you. Oh, that guy came back with a broken leg? Let me send a team of guys to kill you. Oh, those guys come back all beat the fuck up? Who is this guy? I'm going to make it my life's mission to fuck this guy up. It's Mm -hmm. just the fact that it's like he's getting in the way of my earning. And I can't fucking stop him. Oh, well, you will see. It's the whole, it's the Sean Connery speech. Like, you know, if he brings a knife, we bring a gun. I, I love that that Frank Miller stole uh, Kingpin from Spider-Man because honestly, he doesn't belong in Spider-Man. Sometimes mm. you sometimes you meet your wife when she's with her husband. You know what I mean? It just is what it is. <laughs> that, that fucking, the Kingpin is so a daredevil villain. He's very much about trying to do the things that the cops don't do because Kingpin owns the cops. He's one of the yeah. perfect distillations of why a vigilante must exist. And that's why their anonymity is so cool. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's busting down the brothels that the cops go to. He's busting up the, the, the illegal shit that the cops and the judges and shit fuck with. And that's what's getting the Kingpin peeve because the Kingpin's whole thing is you could be whoever you want and you could do whatever you want. Uh, all is permitted under my protection. And all of a sudden, somebody's busting through that protection. That's the that's the thematic juice. There is like Daredevil is the working man who wants things to be fair, and Kingpin is like the pampered, privileged guy who gets away with anything he wants because he can buy himself out of it. And it's like, yep. yeah, there's it's one of those great dichotomies uh, that comics is so good at when it's done well. Yeah, absolutely. And also, they just look opposite. Daredevil, <laughs> red you know what? suit, and to that point, Ron, I've always loved the idea of kind of a short Daredevil, which is why I like Charlie Cox in that role. Like, I love the idea that Daredevil's like five eight, five nine. You know, not not a remarkable physical specimen at all to look at. You him. mean average <laughs> height, you son of a bitch? Another one that I was thinking of that is I think at this point more of a movie example than a comics example is Thor and Loki. 
Ooh. Because in the comic, like Loki has always been Thor's arch villain, but like in the comics, he was much more of just, you know, because he's the god of mischief, he's just going to fuck around and make your life hell for no reason. But the way that the movies really keyed into that sort of brotherly falling out, you know, I was never recognized. I was never loved. You were always the golden boy, but also, you know, you were kind of a pompous asshole and like turning them into frenemies almost strengthens their arch rivalry, I would say. Yeah. And it's also one of those beautiful art, you know, those beautiful ties where like, it's amazing that sometimes we've, you know, like I tried to go on a little bit of a tangent here, but like whenever Marvel does a great job, like literally they were making Loki sound like he was a Nazi almost kneel before me and turned him into a, a, a like a kind of a good guy eventually. Sure. And the real, a real arc arch for that guy. I mean, obviously he wasn't racist or anything. He just felt like he, he should rule everybody because he was a God, you know, but like, you know, still like he was an asshole and he sucked and he didn't and he'd sure he'd like to make jokes and he'd do this and he'd do that. But like he was a villain uh, and a real villain who really got people hurt. And I do love that they, you know, his brother's reluctant to do what he would probably do with anybody else and fucking kill him. Mm. Like he, if this was a regular ass villain, he'd kill that guy. Cause that's what he does up in when he's fighting, you know, villains and, in um uh in Asgard, he smokes those dudes. Yeah, you're a pile of rocks. Uh, you're you're a walking pile of rocks. Now you're just a pile of rocks. There's no Asgard in Asgard. He'll he'll <laughs> whoop your ass. Um, no, and I mean I think that that's also a really great example of of a good in story reason to do that thing that movies always do for no reason, which is like. I've just mowed my way through all the lower level villains, but I'm not going to kill you because that would make me the bad guy. Yeah. I, I like the fact that with Loki and Thor, you actually have a good in-story reason why the hero isn't going to just dispatch the villain the way he would anybody else. That, that brother yeah. connection. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful way to handle it. And uh, I mean, okay. So who's Hawkeye's um, arch villain? I mean, does I don't know, maybe, maybe Crossbones in the comics, at least. Yeah. Um, I'm not Lame. familiar enough. I was going to bring up, though, this this one is for you, Ron. This is a layup. What about Buffy? Who's Buffy's arch-villain? Oh, that is a great question. Because, I mean, you would say that it's... Um, you would, you'd probably say the, the master the first time, but then there's the absolute evil guy at the very mm. end, who's like the, the center of evil. Who is Buffy's? Is it what about Spike? The whole spike? I was just, just going to say, what about the whole Spike thing? Because you got to imagine like, you know, the Red Skull is Captain America's arch enemy, even though Captain America has fought bigger bads than the Red Skull. And same thing with yeah. like Superman and Lex Luthor. So it's like, is the, the flip side of the coin who keeps coming back to menace you and you can never quite beat, is that Spike for Buffy? And yeah. the, the reason I bring that up is because the whole idea of arch enemies to lovers is also kind of a unique and potent idea in this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And those are some – and actually a lot of people, like before they were shipping on the internet, 
people were shipping Spike and, and Buffy. They were like, Angel is lame. He's too broody. <laughs> Let's get us some Spike and some Buffy love. Did they not actually get together in the show, Spike and Buffy? No, they do. They, they do. do. Okay. Uh, and and if I'm remembering right, I like they have like a, a love scene where they like break a bunch of stuff. If I remember correct, <laughs> those are always the best kind. I'm th- now I'm thinking of Homelander and uh, what's her face on the boys. Yeah, I mean, I think I think any long running TV show. Especially in like a comic book nerd milieu is gonna live or die based on that sort of love hate relationship between the hero and the villain. I'm thinking of Smallville and the way that, you know, Clark and Lex are like best friends until they're not. And there's all kinds of that weird dynamic happening. Even something like Lost, which, you know, got horribly uh, convoluted, but like the conflict between Locke and Michael Emerson's character, the the weasel faced guy, I don't remember his the name of that guy, but like the fact that you know they were arch enemies, but then ended up by circumstance having to work together, having to find a middle ground, like that's something that like we said comes up a lot in comics, but I think will come up a lot in television also. So who do who do you think we're missing? That I mean, have we missed anybody that's obvious off the top of the of your head? Yeah, I mean. Going down the checklist of like major superheroes, Wolverine. Ah, yes. Wolverine and Sabretooth may have lost some of their sauce over the years as arch enemies, but back at the height of that, you know, villain relationship, that was the coolest shit in comics. It really was. I mean, who hasn't tried to draw a Wolverine and Sabretooth fighting each other? I have some Wolverine and Sabretooth trying to fight each other badly drawn. Of course. Uh, It's, it's the classic. I mean, and they are, and it's funny because what's interesting about them is I think what's interesting about Wolverine and um, uh, my, my brain. Sabretooth. Sabretooth. Duh guys. What's interesting about Wolverine and Sabretooth is there's like a little bit of a, could Wolverine be like this guy? See, I thought you were going to say there was a little bit of like, are they going to fuck? In, in <laughs> you know what? That is a great point. L- look, I mean, n- not for nothing. Like, anytime you've got that much raging, hairy testosterone just climbing all over each other, part of you is like, wait a minute. Are they going to fuck? Yeah, yeah. And... <gasps> And it's going to be hot. Let's be real. It's I mean, let's be, let's be very real. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the thing that I always loved about Wolverine and Sabretooth was the fact that like Sabretooth knew more about Wolverine's origin than Wolverine did, or at least he seemed yes. to. Yeah. Right. And that whole idea that like the villain has some special knowledge And it kind of fits into the thing that we were talking about of like the hero having a reason to not just kill the villain. Like with Wolverine, yes, he wants to kill Sabretooth because all Sabretooth seems to do is show up out of nowhere to fuck up his life, killing his girlfriends, whatever the case may be. Yeah. But also like he wants to know what this guy knows. And that's cool. I mean, that was what made Wolverine so interesting in in the first place when he first came out was like, what's this mystery man up to? Mm -hmm. Like, why is he doing what he's doing? What's the story? And like, 
the and the stuff they revealed when they kept it vague was awesome, you know. And Sabretooth was part of that because he was part of the program. Yeah, and the fact that like, I mean, Sabretooth is kind of like Venom, and I, I I should say that the opposite way. Venom is kind of like Sabretooth because Sabretooth was created first. Yeah, but he has like all of your same strengths, kind of none of your weaknesses, um, a personal vendetta. And, and in a lot of ways is sort of like that venom gimmick on steroids where it's like, he only shows up to fuck with you. It's not like, you know, he's collateral damage as you're trying to go about, you know, saving people or doing good in the world. It's just like, no, anytime Wolverine is happy, this, this other mystery man is going to appear out of nowhere just to ruin your happiness because he hates you so much. Like that's pretty dope. That is uh, pure entertainment and exactly how a good arch nemesis should behave. Like, let's be real. Wolverine Sabretooth has to be like high on the list. I think so. I think so. I can't believe we almost forgot them. Let me get on a let me get on a soapbox for one more here. Um, and this is one that most people probably won't have a lot of love for. But for me, I'm I'm just the proponent of more of this uh, relationship in comics. Okay. And that is Dark Side and High Father. Oh. And look, you've heard me rant about the new gods enough on other episodes. And if you haven't, go find those episodes in our feed because it is a co- it is a uh, a concept about which I'm passionate in comics. Sure. But we mentioned earlier how like Wonder Woman should be more involved with the new gods and how it's pretty dumb that like Superman's just shoehorned into being an arch nemesis to Dark Side. As Jack Kirby wrote it. The true nemesis to Darkseid is Highfather. And like we're talking about all these mythological ideas of like yin and yang and how they're, you know, the opposite sides of the same coin. And it's both personal, but it's bigger than personal. All of that is wrapped up in, in Highfather and Darkseid. The idea that like they're both the leaders of armies. They have absolutely opposite ideas about how the universe should work and how they should lead their own people. I mean, Godfather is literally like, or excuse me, <laughs> Godfather. Highfather is literally like the god of free thought, and like Dark Side is the god of fascism. And it's like they are locked in this mythical, perpetual conflict with one another. And it's so far above and beyond like the ken of human beings that we barely scratch the surface and it could like run like a tornado across the face of the world. Like, that is has been almost abandoned completely in any sort of treatment of the new gods. And I'm just here to say that I think the rivalry, the arch enemy ship, whatever you want to call it, between Highfather and Darkseid would do well to be refocused, at least in the comics, because it's a really interesting thing that gets thrown out the window to turn Darkseid into like a DCU big bad for everybody to punch around and like, I just don't think that's what Jack Kirby wanted. So, you know, show some respect, people. I feel you. It's kind of like, honestly, it's kind of like the Yoda Emperor Palpatine. Oh, uh, there you go. That we mentioned earlier, because it's like they would be sending out their emissaries, the emissaries of fascism, the emissaries of free thought to fight each other and and see who can battle to win. And, And and at the same time, they battle each other from time to time they're really battling through belief through 
through uh, through encouraging others and inspiration, inspiration to fascism and inspiration to free thought. I, I, I love that idea. Yeah, it's like kind of a non-religious context, but it's like they're literally battling for souls. They're trying to win hearts and minds, right? They're trying to spread their opposite ideas throughout the universe. And, you know, that's a that's a cool dynamic. And that's yeah. one reason why Granny Goodness is so sick, because she th- is supposed to be teaching somebody something. Mm-hmm. She's supposed to be training people. She's supposed to be caring about the youth. And all she's doing is pimping this crap. And, you know, as you guys probably talked about, like... <clears throat> The people, everybody in Darkseid's whole thing, that's what makes them so insidious. They're supposed to be taking care of people. The preacher, the teacher, the leader, in Darkseid's world, they're all trash. Yeah. So, yeah. Ed, while while you were off the stream for a minute, we brought up and then quickly had to discard Conan because we couldn't talk about it without you. But do you <laughs> feel that Conan really has, like, a, an arch enemy? I mean, for the movie generation, it's obviously that iteration of Thulsa Doom, but I think he was actually a Call the Conqueror villain mm. in the actual uh, comics and books and stuff. So uh, he may have run across Conan's path, but it was it was like Kingpin fighting Spider-Man, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I mean, I think Conan's enemy is the weakness of other men. So in that way... <laughs> <laughs> That's a true arch nemesis that never goes away and always. So wait, Conan is Conan is Joe Rogan? I don't understand. (laughs) I mean, he kind of Conan is kind of the Joe Rogan of uh, the Hyborian Age. (laughs) Hey, look, man, he's just telling you that elk meat is how he got these guns. That's right, you know. Uh, But sincerely, Conan, in regards to he's like one of those classic pulp villains. I mean, pulp heroes. That doesn't have that one villain. They ha- mm. they're kind of their story is to go town to town and fuck people up. Like, what was the one villain that Scooby Doo and them fought? I mean, I know it's a ridiculous co- uh, a comparison, but it's kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. They they fight this type of guy over and over again, and it's about the inexhaustibility of of fascism or oppression or people who want to do shitty stuff to people, people who want to fuck people over, are like a hydra, you know, that home and, homeboys chopping through. Conan's I mean, like a one-team, one-man A-team in a way. Yeah, I, yeah. I was also going to say, I'm going by that definition. I love the idea of Scooby-Doo versus exploitive capitalism. Like that's a great arch enemy. <laughs> exactly. Relationship too. Yeah, that's awesome. Exactly. Ooh, this makes me think. Uh, Captain Kirk and uh, uh, Khan. Khan. <laughs> I think they're arch nemesis. I mean, yeah, I would say they are. I it's think the only it's, arch nemesis I could think of. Uh, yes. I, I mean, I might make an argument that like Picard versus the Borg Queen is maybe Ooh. a stronger Star Trek example. What do you and you guys of? haven't even seen. Oh, man. Yes. Yes. I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. I do want to bring up one that I think is very important, and that's God versus Humanity. You? Oh, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, uh, God Lucifer versus, me. God versus, versus humanity. Dude, I think I think God versus any of us is like, oh, we're the Washington generals. We're just getting mopped. <laughs> He's just spinning the ball on the end of his heavenly finger. He's doing all kind of ducks, throwing confetti in our faces. 
I'd like to mention uh, our arch enemy, capitalism. <laughs> well, we're all going to lose that war, so yeah. I, let's Good not times. dwell on that too much. Yeah, let's not you know be what? sad at the end here. Well, all right, let me bring up one that I think we're all going to be upset we haven't gotten to yet. And that, my friends, is He-Man and Skeletor. Oh! <laughs> oh, dropped it. Uh, and I know, look, I am the first one to say I hate it when this turns into 80s the podcast, right? I do. Yeah. I hate that. But He-Man and Skeletor is one of the great dichotomies, the great flip sides of the same coin, right down to the fact that they have two halves of the same sword. And mm -hmm. again, not to turn this into reboot it, the advertisement, but if you listen to our rebooted episode about He-Man, oh. you will understand the greatness of the He-Man versus Skeletor relationship. Yeah. Oh. Yep, absolutely. And how, how vital... I don't it? want to be good. I want to be <laughs> evil. <laughs> well, it's also, it's also vital that the person who's fighting on the sort of revolutionary side can't all the way be evil because it messes up that sort of story. Like if, if Homeboy, if Skeletor started murking people, mm. eh, it'd be different. And murking is, oddly enough, what, what He-Man wears over his junk. <laughs> Hilarious. That is great wordplay. A plus. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, and that's what we, we kind of talked about in our rebooted is that that doesn't have any place in that world. And that's what like trying to make those uh, foam rubber warriors become real forces for good would be a very interesting challenge for them to kind of break out of this Barbie. It's like it was like the Barbie pitch before the Barbie movie. Yeah. Uh, meta, the meta. Dude. Oh, shit. Delete this part. Delete, delete. Like, dude, that'd be, that'd be the way to approach it in the in the Barbie meta. That would be no, the way it, to approach rebooting He-Man. It very much would be. Yeah, um, that's almost what we 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 talked about on that. I yeah, mean, honestly, yeah, that is. Yeah. No, it's very it very much is. Uh, so let's hope that Barbie does as well as everybody projects it will, so that we'll get a shot at rebooting He-Man. That's look, all guys, I want. Look, yeah. guys, I'm going just to watch the rollerblading. So. <laughs> oh, they know their demographic. <laughs> Those big rollerblades, and uh, so so uh, as we close out here, are there any that we like missed in regards to? Okay, this because so many don't quite make it, like Clary Starling and Hannibal Lecter. Mm -hmm. uh, the third story of them is just drek and dumb and doesn't graduate the form and kind of violates the characters you know mm -hmm. even though the guy who made up the characters wrote it it's just like nope it's out of your hands buddy we took it as a populist death of the author you cannot make clary starling start fucking hannibal lecter it just doesn't make no sense yeah you know what i mean so yeah. shit like that there's like that's what keeps things from being an arch nemesis because like you said at the very beginning bill there's something like dun, 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 about arch villainy on any level. You know what I mean? There, there's an aesthetic to it. There's a camp to it, frankly. Yeah. Well, you know, that makes me think of, and this is a little bit niche, but I think all of our listeners will appreciate it. Dr. Venture and the Monarch from Venture Brothers. Oh. Nice. And, and that's good. You know, the meta aspect of them even debating like the merits of arching and like what that entails and what it takes to be an arch nemesis is kind of amazing. And the fact that they're both like these ineffectual losers 
with hugely aggrandized visions of themselves. Um, the fact that like they should be friends and yet they must be enemies is both hilarious in that very camp way, but also kind of heartbreaking if you take a moment to like look at it and think about it. Mm -hmm. So I think that that, that actually out of all the things that venture brothers does well, like their weird meta out of, you know, contextual take on super villainy and arch nemeses might be the best. Well, the idea of bracketing, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's always funny how like, a lot of times people fight people slightly stronger than them for the, so the hero could be a little uh, weaker than the villain to kind of give it some some juice. Mm -hmm. But they really were like, there was an alchemy, there was a system that was set up to where you you, you can't arch that guy. He'll fuck you up in two seconds. I want to arch him. I want to be... And like tr this trying to go up the ladder. And I wonder if that's like, just to bring it to, uh, to a weird guy who doesn't seem to have an arch enemy but keeps fighting, John Wick. Mm -hmm. Like it seems like at one point people were trying to do the arch enemy thing, like from Venture Brothers, and it got too violent and became okay. High table, low table. Mm. That's the only way it can be. There is no negotiation. You can't rise up. There's people up here, and your peons down there, and that's the way it has to be to keep things calm. Because if we're all Wild Wild West fighting it out to see who's the greatest criminal enterprise, the world's gonna burn down around our ears, and we're nobody's gonna make any money. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I also think on a more practical level, like, we've already got Lex Luthor, we've already got the Joker, let's stop mismatching these people on in terms of, like, power level and, you know, yeah. scale. <laughs> like, let's, yeah. let's, try to, let's try to be a little bit more uh, logical about, like, what's going to create a good story. It, we, we were talking about Wolverine and Sabretooth earlier, which I think is sort of, like, the ultimate example of like, all right, if we're going to have an arch nemesis, let's make sure, you know, they're on the correct level for the type of story that we're trying to tell. Um, yeah. But maybe that's almost infected our thinking about arch enemies too much, because I think ever since then, and like that worked so well, the Wolverine Sabretooth thing, ever since then, we've sort of been trapped in this idea of like, the villain as sort of the slightly more powerful, more unhinged version of the hero. Um, yeah. Down to the point where like the MCU has been widely criticized for that approach to villainy, maybe up until about phase four. And so maybe it's time that we, you know, start to broaden our ideas a little bit of what might make a good arch enemy. Oh, what about a dude uh, named Maxwell Lord who like has a wishing well that makes him sick, and and then the, <laughs> the, the, oh, the sorry, I'm throwing up a little. Sorry, no, no, dude. Then the cheetah, the cheetah can fight a, a Wonder Woman that has a Juggernaut armor on. <laughs> Why would Wonder Woman need armor to fight the cheetah? That <laughs> I mean, it's Ed. It's very cool. Okay. Um, it's very cool armor, and I will not have you besmirch this cool well, armor oh, wait a minute. Okay. doesn't protect her, really. Is there a list? Okay, list of greatest mismatches, and we have to go round robin style. I'll go first. Batman and motherfucker Joker. Okay, what else? What, I'll what go um, Captain Marvel and Mr. Mind. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Shazam Captain Marvel and Mr. Mind, who's literally a super intelligent worm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, Ron. Greatest mismatches. Um, Spider-Man and the Rhino. 
Oh, that's a pretty good one, actually. That goes in the other direction. It's yeah. Spider-Man is so much smarter than him, and, and the Rhino should beat him, and he fucks him up all the time. Yeah. Uh, okay, I got to go. Uh, Chief Brody and the Shark. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. Yeah, I'll give you that one. Um, <laughs> pretty, pretty mismatched. I'm going to go with uh, Superman and I mean, literally like pick a Superman villain other than like Brainiac and Bizarro. But uh, Superman and Metallo, I've always felt has was just shitty. Like Superman yeah. versus a Terminator robot like that. Really? That's it. Right. Right. Yeah. It just It doesn't doesn't make it's not. You cool. get, and the only way to make him like sort of be able to fight him is the kryptonite thing right which yeah. is always like i mean it can Lame. be used well but in that the kryptonite heart thing is just you know that's just shitty yeah why does that work that way what what does kryptonite do does it create energy what's happening here what well, i'm mm-hmm. confused yeah uh, a green arrow and who see that's what i said who's his main guy he fights <laughs> i'll tell you what there was a there was an issue in the 90s where he fought a uh uh, disfigured cosmetics mogul in Los Angeles. This woman who was like, <laughs> she was like, she was rich from cosmetics, but she was running a gang on the side. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, I know that if I'm rich from cosmetics, I'm also going to run a gang. <laughs> hey, listen, Max Factor, notoriously uh, criminal mastermind. <laughs> oh man, That's yeah, hilarious. That- as far as as far as mismatched, yeah, so many of the movies of our youth, you know, you fight you fight your way up to this guy who can't fight. So we're not going to talk about those, but yeah, that is a whole genre of them where it's just like, damn, the thug was invented to make the last part of the movie interesting. I guess, you know, as you get closer and closer to the villain. Um, well, I mean, look no further than the original Batman '89 for that one. Yeah, it's yeah. like dudes fighting ninjas with katana blades, literally going up. Uh, a giant steeple to the top of the church only to show, show down with that clown. Dude. Oh, and I was going to say, as we talked about earlier, that when we, and I said, who fights green arrow? There's a generation now that thinks it's fucking Deathstroke. I know that's from so that sad. show. And it's just like that. They keep trying to steal Deathstroke and give him to anybody, but a bunch of teenagers. And then they still end up neutering him in this thing. And they make him, I, I mean, but they did make him kind of deadly. Finally, he did kill somebody in the CW. Finally, you know, that's true. Who'd have thought that? But anyway, so I think in the end, an arch villain has to fight you a bunch of times and still be interesting after they fought you a bunch of times. And that's why we could come up with so few. And that's well, why whatever one you thought of, we didn't get to. <laughs> well, and let's talk about this. A uh, bad one in the comics is Vulture versus Spider-Man. It's always stupid. It's almost always stupid. And in the movie, they did a great job making me yeah. go like, oh, I don't hate you the know, vulture. Yeah, it's true. Spot. I mean, look at that spot, man. He's like 97 years old. He's got liver spots <laughs> and a fucking <laughs> vulture outfit that like if he breaks a wing, he fucking falls to the ground. It's like, what? what? What's Dude, happening? The spot, the, if the spot was the vulture, he would have ultimate power from all those liver spots. He would just have so <laughs> <many> <laughs> Hey, I will give a I'll give a quick uh, shout out to uh, Spawn versus Violator. There may be no story oh, yeah. there, but goddamn, is the visual awesome? 
I never yeah. like the violators visual. The oh. color looks so weird to me. <laughs> like he's got a big rhino dick coming out of the back, curving out of the back. Rhino dick tusk coming out of the back of his neck. Like hey, it was man. always so weird. He he passes the silhouette test for character design. Like you're, you're never right going to mistake him for anybody else. You're right about that. No, no, you you got it. So I uh, I think uh, top top of the list. Yeah, Black Manta. Yeah, you suck. You <laughs> we settled suck, on it. You suck, Black Manta. You're 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 one of the worst out of this giant conversation that we had. You know who you're worse than? A worse mismatch. Uh, Dennis Hopper and Keanu Reeves in Speed. <laughs> worst mismatch <laughs> ever. Because <laughs> you know this probably yeah. wasn't even quite smart enough to get away from a dull Keanu Reeves, and you know I'm taller. Like as soon as they got around each other, they just he just beat his ass in this frat boy style. Uh oh, dude, we didn't talk about Johnny Utah and Bodie. They're, well, oh, you you missed you missed the damn. part of the conversation where we talked about we didn't talk about them in particular, but we talked about the concept of arch enemies to lovers. And I yeah. feel like Bodie and uh Johnny Utah kind of fit into that paradigm. Oh They're pretty yeah. close. Given a long enough timeline, they'd be fucking in the Australian sand as the twenty-year storm washes over them. Oh yeah, oh, <laughs> I mean, you saw the longing in both of their eyes in that last scene. Don't do. Don't say you didn't. They loved being handcuffed to each other too. It was like <laughs> mm. Mm. pretty beautiful. It's pretty beautiful. So, well, um, the... well, at this point, we need to break and get the fuck out of here. Yeah, so, yeah. I think we've done everything we can do. Um, if you guys have thoughts on it out there hanging out with us or in the comments of this uh, also going to be a YouTube video at some point here, leave a comment, click the like button, subscribe to our podcast, by the way, that 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 helps us get moved up in the charts. Leave us review all that good stuff. If you want to support us monetarily, what do they do, Ed? Patreon.com forward slash the greatest pod. Come and drop us some shekels and see the things that we do when we're not doing this version of the stream. Because, boy, it gets nuts over there. Real interior into our minds, into our souls. And there's years of it, so you'll never get bored. Um, and you can follow us all on Instagram and uh, um, you know Twitter and all that good stuff. Uh, uh, Bill specifically has some uh, amazing art happening over on his Instagram, and I would suggest you get over there just to see the drawings he's doing because they're they're fucking amazing. So. Oh, thank you, Ron. It's C Bill Draw, just the word C Bill Draw with no spaces or anything in between on Instagram. And thank you. I've I've been trying to up my Instagram game this year. It's real good. It really is very fantastic. Um, and if you're, uh, if you uh, another way you can support me is I have my album, my comedy album, on the wing of a dragon, coming out June seventeenth. If you're local in LA, there's going to be a, a comedy karaoke release party at my house. You're welcome to come if you're local. If you're not local, your house is going to look like the middle of fucking weird science. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> I literally thought you were about to drop your address on the no. podcast. I was nope. going to be like, please nope. don't do that, Ron. Nope. Nope. <laughs> so you have um, to RSVP and solve a CAPTCHA so we know you're not yes. a robot. That's right, uh, because the robots are after us, and uh, specifically the Terminator, which is my arch nemesis, because I guess you guys didn't know this, but I'm John Connor. Oh. Hey, oh. by the way, Terminator Sarah Connor is another honorable mention that we didn't talk about, but that's true. Oh man, yeah. Ripley yeah. and the Alien. I mean, come on, dude. Well, oh. Okay, well, we'll have to get to it on the Patreon. 
So patreon.com forward slash the greatest pod for uh, that conversation. And we do addendums to almost every episode. So there'll be like something we didn't get to that turns out to be a whole nother episode, an hour, hour and a half, some of them. So <laughs> that, that the Patreon is just chock full of that sort of stuff. So as always, we really appreciate you uh, checking out our opposites that also our, attract. Our dichotomous our contentious, Ooh. our arch rivalrish episode of the greatest pod. Oh.